I started looking and realized that over the last couple of weeks, Chris has done 80 years of Moses' life. And so I figured if I was going to make this work where I still had an opportunity to be able to share new thoughts with you, I had to really boil down those 80 years into something concise. Best I could do was 80 years of Moses' life in eight simple phrases. All right, so here we go. Uh, He was born a slave. That's number one. He was born a slave uh, in the nation of Israel to the people of Israel there. He was born a slave, and because of that, the Egyptians said, you know what, you've got to kill all your baby boys And so it brings us number two, he was put in a basket, born a slave, put in a basket. He floats down the river because that's what you do with babies. I I don't know. Um, And he gets found by a princess. So number three is he was raised by a princess. And then after that, he grew up and 40 years pass. And then he kills an Egyptian and he hides him in the sand. And then he runs far, far away. As he's out there, he becomes a shepherd. And after he's a shepherd for another 40 years, he meets God in a burning bush, and God gives him some new marching orders and sends him back to free God's people from slavery in Egypt. There you go, 80 years of Moses' life in eight simple phrases. I I hope when I'm 80 that that is uh, also possible for me, although I think it'll be like two, be like, Patrick had kids. That'll be like the extent of of who I am, but that's all right, because we're going to pick up today right where Chris left off last week. Uh, you know, we're going to hit the, the unpause button and we're going to keep going. We left off. God was there at the burning bush. He asked Moses, what is in your hand? Moses says, I got a staff. And he does all this stuff with the staff and with his, his cloak and then sends him on his way. And this is where we're going to pick up. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 5, if you want to turn there in your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a, a Bible, there's some really good digital ones you can download uh, on your phone. Uh, if you want to use an analog Bible, there's some of those underneath your chairs. You can grab one of those. If you don't have a good, easily readable version of the Bible, take one of those home with you. Let that be a free gift to you because we think it's important that you have that opportunity to be able to read and study on your own well, we're going to be in Exodus chapter 5, and uh, the words will also be on the screen behind me. We're going to start right in verse 1, and it says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is this Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I, I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go. Have you ever gotten your car stuck in the mud? I'm not asking for a show of hands, just you know, some nods would be nice. Have you ever gotten your car? Because, I mean, I don't want to brag or anything, but uh, this has happened to me a fair number of times. Like, I've probably gotten my car stuck in the mud more than I should be willing to admit. What it is, I figured it out, I'm just a really trusting person. I look at ground and I think that's ground, it will hold a car, and I feel like I'm good there, but overall, over the years, I've gotten stuck in gravel, I've gotten stuck in sand, I've gotten stuck in mud, I've gotten stuck in just long, wet grass, I don't know what happened that day, but I've gotten stuck a lot, and what I've realized as I got stuck all these different times was that it never happens in a convenient place. Like, getting stuck in the mud never happens somewhere where you're like, oh, this is great, I'm not even mad that I'm stuck. It's always somewhere where you're late for something or like on the side of a busy highway because you had to turn around because you missed the turn for the youth rally that you're getting ready to go preach at. 
and you're there and you miss the whole thing. Like, no, I mean, or you're like way back in a field somewhere out in the middle of eastern North Carolina where there's no cell signal and you've got to walk like a mile and a half to get somebody to help you get your, maybe that's just me. I, I don't know. Like I, you, you, you get stuck in different places. But one time, one time, I'll never forget this. I got stuck in a place that I thought was super convenient. My front yard. I got stuck in my front yard in the place where I parked my car all the time. Some reason one morning I got out there, I got in the car, cranked it up, I'm going to work. I hit the gas, the tires spun, and that was it. They just, you know the sound, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear that. And so I was like, no, wait, no, this is awesome. This is, this is great. I have stuff here. You know, when you get stuck on the side of the road, you don't have any things to get you unstuck. When you're at home, you're like, oh, I've got wood, I've got shovels, I've got rope, I can do all kinds of things. So I was excited, this will be super fast, won't even ruin my day, I may get a little bit of mud on me, it'll be fine. Uh, Three or four hours later, I'm still stuck in the mud, and not only am I stuck, I'm more stuck than I was before. I think my car thought it could, like, dig to China. And uh, like, it was like woe deep, like it was crazy. And I feel like this must be what the people of Israel felt like as they're there stuck in slavery. And Moses and Aaron come up and like, we got this. We're gonna hook you guys up. We're gonna get you out of here. And they go to Pharaoh and Pharaoh says, no. It's like, oh, I'm still stuck. And not only that, if you go down a couple of verses, get down to verse six. This is what it says. It says, that same day, Pharaoh gave the order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as they did before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they're crying out. Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make them work harder. Make the work harder for the people so that they will keep working and pay no attention to lies. That's right. Pharaoh steps up and goes high school gym teacher on them. If you want to complain, then you got to just do more. Like that's what he said. He said, don't complain to me. I'll just make it harder. He doubles or triples their work because they got to go do all kinds of stuff now. Now, when you have somebody that's complaining about something and you say, I'm going to deal with this complaining by making the work harder for them, what do they normally do? They, they complain more, right? So that's what the, uh, the Israelites do. They go to Pharaoh and they're like, Pharaoh, they stopped giving us straw. And Pharaoh's like, I, I know, I told them to. And they're like, oh. So they go to Moses and they complain. It said, Moses, they stopped giving us straw. Actually, this is exactly what it says, Exodus 5.21. May the Lord look on you and judge you. You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. They're like, oh, what are you doing, man? You're ruining stuff. But Moses, being a good leader, he takes their complaints to heart and he goes to God and he's like, "Uh, God, I thought you sent me here to help these people. I I thought you sent me here to to save these people. I thought you sent me here to make things better, not to make things worse. What's going on? And, you know, I think this is a relationship that we understand with God. This is something that I feel like all of us have done at some point. You know, we get something in our mind that we think this is exactly what I need in my life. This is exactly the way I think that my life needs to go from here, the way things need to work out, and you start praying. Oh, boy, and do you pray. You pray fervently. You pray more than you've prayed before, and then nothing happens. And you think, man, I thought that 
that God wanted to help me out. You know, what happened to Jesus said, ask and you will receive. You know, start asking questions like, am I, am I not smart enough? Am I not good enough? Do I, did I not do something right? Like, was my prayer not wordy enough? Or was it too wordy? Or like, where am I on this? Why is it not working? But I love how God answers Moses in Exodus 6. Like, first one of Exodus 6, he says this. The Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. It's like God looks at Moses and says, dude, chill. Trust me. I've got this. I understand. I know what I'm doing. I've been there before. And I I think God would say the same thing to us. By my mighty hand, I will make sure the right paths are taken. By my mighty hand, I will make sure that the bigger picture works out. And so that's what God does to them. He says, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. And so he sends Moses and Aaron back to Pharaoh. He says, all right, what you're going to do is you're going to go back. You're going to say to them again, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, let my people go. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then we'll see what happens. But he's going to ask for something. And so God gives them some marching orders. He sends them Exodus chapter 7. says, when Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it on the ground before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw a staff on the ground, uh, down in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. That's pretty awesome. That, like, that's, that's a cool thing. Now, Moses saw this before. Like, this is a repeat for him because at the burning bush, God had him do that and pick the, the staff back up. It became a staff, or the snake up, and it became a staff again. Like, this was cool. This happened, but, but this is new for Pharaoh and his officials. And, and for me, I'm sitting there looking at this going, whoa, whoa that's cool. Like, after seeing that, surely Pharaoh's going to be like, man, God really is powerful. After seeing that stick turn into a snake and then back into a stick, like, that's got to be done. But the problem is, this, this ain't Pharaoh's first rodeo. He, he's had people come and, and talk to him before. He's had other foreign people, other magicians and sorcerers come before him. And he says, hold up, let's see what's going on. And so this is what he does. Verse 11, Pharaoh summoned his wise men and sorcerers and the Egyptian magicians, say that three times fast, also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff and it became a snake, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs, yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said, because God said, look, I'm going to send you and Pharaoh's going to say no. And I'm going to send you and Pharaoh's going to say, no, his heart is going to be hardened. His heart is going to be against you because he thinks he's God. He thinks he's in charge. He thinks he's the ruler of everything. But you got to keep trying. You know, after this place in the story is when things really start getting interesting. You know, this is when, you know, it's like God's out at the car and he's, he's giving it the, the one rock to say, all right, is this going to just get out of here real easy? No, all right, well, I got to start, you know, figuring out all these things. What did my dad say I was supposed to do when the car got stuck? You know, I'll put a, a log under there and it'll get some traction or throw some rocks or, uh, oh, what is, what is one thing I saw on Mythbusters? And, and so it's all this stuff that he starts trying, try, trying to figure out what he can do to get some traction with Pharaoh. But Pharaoh just keeps digging in, just keeps digging deeper, becomes more and more against the idea of what Moses and Aaron are bringing to him. 
So God starts figuring out some other ways to do it. Now, I, I do want to take an aside here and, and make sure we all understand. I, I don't think that God is doing a test of trial and error here. I don't believe that God didn't know right from the beginning exactly what it would take to break Pharaoh, exactly what it would take to get him to let go. What I believe is happening here is God is showing some love and some grace. God is going through these ramped up plagues to give Pharaoh a chance to make a choice, to give Pharaoh a chance to to be better, to give Pharaoh a chance to do something different. And now we'll see that that changes a little ways down. But I think at the beginning, that's what God's trying to do. He's trying to let free will reign. But it is interesting to me, and you'll see as we go through this, it's very similar to when Moses was at the burning bush. You remember God spoke to Moses and said, what's in your hand? And he's got, I got a staff, and God uses that to prove who he was. God does that same thing with the whole of the country of Egypt. He says, what do you got? What's in your hand? What do you have right here, right now that I can use to prove to you my power? What do you have right here, right now that I can use to convince you? And he looks around and sees nature. He sees the river and the animals and the people. And he says, I got it. I know what to do. And so he sends Moses and Aaron back and he says, go and ask Pharaoh, let my people go. But once again, Pharaoh says no. His heart was hardened. So Exodus seven nineteen. this is what the Lord said to Moses. Tell Aaron, take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the streams and the canals, over the ponds and all the reservoirs, and they will turn to blood. Blood will be everywhere in Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and stone. God says, you don't believe the snake thing? All right, here, check this out. I will turn all the water into blood. Into into blood. Like, if if it's me, like, you turn a glass of water into blood, I'm like, cool, yeah, no, I'm done. But he turned all of the water into blood. And if you read the scriptures, it says that this caused all the fish in the river to die, and everything stank like old blood and dead fish. Like it was, it was not a pleasant thing. Like the people of Israel, Egypt actually had to go and dig new wells to find drinkable water because every drop of water they had was undrinkable. But Pharaoh didn't give up. Pharaoh didn't give in. He called his magicians and he says, hey, can you do this? Can you turn water to blood? Uh, verse 22 of Exodus 7, but the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Now God let it sit for a week. He gave it seven days. He said, just just be, be chill for a minute. Let's see what happens. Let's see what's going on. And then he says, if you go back to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no, this time tell him we're going to cover the all of Egypt in frogs. Because that's the best next thing from blood and uh, water into blood is, is frogs. And so he said, we'll cover all of Egypt in frogs. And of course, Pharaoh says no. And the whole land is covered in frogs. And this is where we get our first glimmer of hope. Glimmer of maybe Pharaoh's not as bad as we think he is. Maybe Pharaoh's not there because Exodus 8.8, 8, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people and I will let you go your people go and offer sacrifices to the Lord. 
And Moses gets super excited. He's like, yes, it worked. Great. It's done. It's over. I'll even let you, Pharaoh, you tell me when you want the frogs gone and I will pray that God will move them right then, right at that moment. And Pharaoh's like, all right, tomorrow morning then. And so Moses prays and God answers. And we think that these, these Israelites are gonna be unstuck, that the people of God are gonna have their freedom. Verse 15, but when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. How frustrating is that? To see the exit, to see the the way out, and then it just be closed right on you. It was frustrating enough that the next time, God doesn't even go ask first. This time he brings the plague and then goes to say, let my people go. And the plague that he brings up is he has Aaron take the staff, and smack it on the ground, and dust flies up, and then all the dust in Egypt turns into gnats. Get into your eyes, into your face, crawl up your nose, gnats. Like it makes my skin crawl to think about it. Like I, I don't like gnats. They're like just everywhere, and you swipe at them, and they just fly away. It's no fun. In fact, it was enough no fun that Pharaoh calls his magicians in. He says, hey guys, come here. Show me how you do this so that I cannot believe in this. And this is what they say. Verse 18, the magicians tried to produce gnats by their secret arts, but they could not. Since the gnats were on people and animals everywhere, the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. Are you starting to see a pattern here? Are you starting to see how things are working? Seeing the hole that the Israelite people, that the people of God are stuck in, getting deeper and deeper. But here's the thing. This is something I know personally in my life, and I'm sure there are people in here that might even tell a better story than I can. But our God is a God of grace. A God of second chances and third chances and 15th chances. A God that doesn't want you to be stuck. And so he goes and sends Moses and Aaron back to Pharaoh again. This time giving him a whole day to make a decision. And this is what they say. It says, Exodus 8, 21. If you do not let my people go, I will send upon you swarms of flies on you and your officials. And on on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians will be full of flies. Even the ground will be covered with them. But on that day, I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I am the Lord and that I am in this land. I will make a distinction between my people and your people. This sign will occur tomorrow. And the Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured into Pharaoh's palace and into the houses of his officials. Throughout Egypt, the land was ruined by flies. Now, before I moved to uh, Wilmington, I I lived out in a place, actually um, in Hyde County, North Carolina, and I lived about a thousand yards in front of an eggplant. Um, Not like the fruit uh, that grows in your your garden, but uh, a place where they raise chickens to lay eggs. Uh, It was an eggplant. Never mind. I thought it was funny. I like, I've got that one highlighted. Be sure and tell this joke. Never mind. I I won't do that anymore. Um, But so I lived in front of the eggplant, and during the summer, 
when the wind blew in the right direction, it would not be unusual if you opened your door for 20 or 30 flies to fly in. Like, not like leave your door open and go to the car and get something in. No, like you open your door and they're just in there. And I've got to tell you that it almost drove me to madness because these were big, crazy, fast flies that just take a breath, just take a moment. As I finished preaching through this yesterday, I walked outside and like four flies swarmed me and I was like, oh my gosh, I just can't take, I can't do it. But I understand, I completely understand where, where Pharaoh is on this. Like this is ridiculously frustrating and annoying. And so Pharaoh calls Moses in again and says, Moses and Aaron, come pray for the flies to leave. Moses and Aaron, come ask God to, to send them away. Moses and Aaron, come, I can't take it anymore. Get the flies out of here. And even offers to let them have their festival. Offers to let them go out and and to leave and to worship God. Moses has been burned once though. He says, "Ah, you fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, uh, I'll probably come back. But this is what he leaves Pharaoh with. Verse 29 of chapter 8. It says, as soon as you leave, I will pray to the Lord. And tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only let Pharaoh be sure that he does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer their sacrifices to the Lord. Then Moses left Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord, and the Lord did what Moses asked. The flies left Pharaoh and its officials and his people. Not a fly remained. But this time also, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the people go. Now up to this point, God has been working these plagues. God has been doing these things, but they were just frustrating things. They were just annoying things, like really, really annoying things. Frogs and flies and gnats are things you don't want to be inundated with, but nothing was detrimental. Nothing was anything that the people of Egypt couldn't rally from, couldn't come back and be a powerful nation again from. But after this lie, after this deceit, God says, that's it. No more kid gloves. I'm trying to hurt you now. I want you to see my power. I want you to see my ability. I want you to understand. So he says, Moses, go and say, let my people go. So Moses goes. Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. So God says, fine. I will kill all of the livestock owned by the Egyptians and leave all the livestock owned by the Israelites. Done. Moses says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. Moses says, all right, cool. All of Egypt can be covered in festering boils. Moses says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. God says, then I will bring on you the greatest storm that has ever been seen with hail that will destroy everything and will kill any living thing that is caught out in it. Finally, that caught Pharaoh's attention. Because after the hail, not a speck of green was left on any plant. Pharaoh gains a little bit of perspective. It's Exodus 9.27. The Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he said. The Lord is right. And I and my people are in the wrong Pray to the Lord, for we have had enough of thunder and hail. I will let you go. 
You do not have to stay any longer. He says, I, I got, I, I'm praying. I, I'm fervently asking you to do this for me. I, I'm down, but this ends up being what you might call a trench prayer. You know, those prayers that you're in a hard spot, you're, you're in a bad place, and you're like, God, if you will do this one thing for me, if you will please just do this one thing for me, I will never eat candy again. Or maybe some other greater sin that you'll step away from. I, I don't know. But then as soon as you see relief, as soon as that prayer is answered, as soon as you're not in that situation anymore, you're like, uh, see, that worked out. It, it's good. You know, I, I don't have to keep up with that. I, I'm not going to do that thing because that's what, what Pharaoh does. As soon as the storm stops, so does his repentance. So does his willingness to change. So once again, Moses and Aaron head to Pharaoh and they're like, look, if you don't let God's people go, then God will send locusts. And not just some locusts, not just one horde of locusts, but so many locusts that you will not be able to see the ground because of them. And the officials in Pharaoh's court say, whoa, 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 whoa. Pharaoh, let them go. It ain't worth it. Can't you see that our country is already ruined? Can't you see that things are already bad? Just, just let them go. And Pharaoh kind of looks at them and is like, you know what, you guys, you make a good point. Moses, Aaron, come here. Um, who did you want to leave? Who did you want to go out into uh, the wilderness? Who did you want to go? And Moses and Aaron said, um, everybody. Like all the people, our, our, our men and our women and our children and our livestock and everything that we own, we want to, want to take it all because that's how we worship. And Pharaoh's like, uh, no, just the men can go. I'll allow that. You can send just the men. But that wasn't what God asked. That wasn't what God wanted. And so the locust came. The locusts came and they destroyed everything. They ate everything. And again, the pattern continues. And Pharaoh shows some repentance. Pharaoh shows some signs that, that he's going to relent. Pharaoh shows some signs that he's going to stop. But as soon as the wind comes and blows the locust away, Pharaoh changes his mind again. Actually, he says, you know what? I'll let you go, but you've got to leave your livestock. I'll, I'll let you go, but you've got to keep them, them back as insurance that you'll, you'll return. God's still like, that's, that's not good enough. We're down. We've got just two more plagues left. And the first one is, is kind of scary to me because it's the plague of, of darkness. Like total utter darkness. The way the, the Bible reads, I, I believe that it wasn't just like an eclipse and you could, you know, it was kind of dark, but like the bottom of a cave, pitch black darkness. It said they couldn't see where they were going. They couldn't see each other as they walked around. I think that even as they lit fires and candles and lanterns, that darkness just enveloped them and it did no good. And Pharaoh calls Moses and, and says, just, just go. Women and children do everything. Just go. Just let this darkness go away. But he changes his mind again. And not only does he change his mind, and he says, I don't want to ever see your face again. He says, Moses, if I ever see you again, you will die. I 
Exodus 11.1. 1. The Lord said to Moses, Now I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. And when he does, he will drive you out completely. God knew from the beginning where this was headed. God knew from the very start what it was going to take to break Pharaoh, but he wanted to give him every possible chance to prove him wrong. Every possible chance to exert his free will and to be good. And if you're reading in the Bible, if you've you got in there, you, you might see a heading that says something about this last plague, like the plague on the firstborn, or the plague of the firstborn. But that seems like such a weak title compared to what actually is getting ready to happen. Look at verse 4 of chapter 11. This is what it says. Moses said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. I feel like this would be so much more aptly titled the plague of of death or the plague of ultimate sorrow, of the plague of unending wailing, the plague of a lost generation. But God was right. This did it. After this, Pharaoh and his officials and all his people said, get out, go away, we don't want to see you again because if you stay here, we might just all die. Leave. And you know what? Take this gold and this silver and these clothes and all these fine things. Take them with you. We just get out of here. Please just, just go. And so Moses leads these now unstuck people out of Egypt. He, he leads them out into the wilderness. He leads them on a path that leads them towards one of the coolest miracles in the Old Testament. Because he leads them towards the Red Sea. But you know the pattern, how it's been going, right? Pharaoh says, hey, you can do this. No, you can't. You can do this. No, you can't. You can do this. Well, it happens again. Chapter 14, verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have, we have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. Why did we free these slaves? Why did we let them go? So the Pharaoh calls up all the king's horses and all the king's men to go and bring them back again. And when the people of Israel see this grand army chasing them down, these chariots, these men that know war, they do what the Israelites do. They start complaining. Oh, Moses, it would have been so much better if you'd have just left us alone. We told you we didn't want your help. We told you we didn't want to go, that we were okay. We didn't mind getting beat. We don't need but so many kids. It's all right. We're good. We would have been better off if we stayed in Egypt. And they were so afraid. But Moses... Shakes, her head, shakes his head and looks at him. And this is what Moses says. Chapter 14, starting at verse 13. Moses answered the people. 
do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians that you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And then God tells Moses to raise his hands. And the, dead, or the Red Sea splits, making a path for this million strong people of Israel to walk across on dry ground. And the Egyptian army follows them. The Egyptian army chases them down. The Egyptian army is trying to get them, and as the last of the Israelites make it across, Moses raises his staff again. Verse 28, the water flowed back in and covered over the chariots and the horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that followed the Israelites into the sea. Not one of them survived. But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and Moses, his servant. You know, when my car was stuck in the mud that morning, stuck in, in my front yard, stuck in a place that I thought was easy and convenient, I worked. I dug holes, I put boards under, I put logs under, I put rocks in. I did everything that I could think of to get my car unstuck, but it wasn't enough. I couldn't do it by myself. So eventually, in a little bit of shame, I I picked up my phone and I called down the road to my friend Junior Boehner. In about 15 minutes, he come putting up on his tractor. He hooked up to my car Pulled me out, no problems, three-minute job, and I was on my way. Friends, I don't know how you're stuck right now. I don't know if you're stuck in a dead-end job, in an addiction that you've been fighting for who knows how long. I don't know if you're stuck in some, some sin of thought or some sin of action. I don't know if you're stuck in a bad relationship or in depression, or in anger. I I don't know what steps you've taken to try to get unstuck. But I do know that God doesn't want you to stay stuck. God doesn't want to leave you in that place. He wants to come and help you, but just like I had to pick up the phone to call Junior, you got to call out to God. You have to say to him, I want your help. I want to not be stuck anymore. And remember what Moses said to those Israelites. Exodus 14, 14. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Still your anger. 
to still your fear, to still your pulling away. And let him work. God doesn't want you to be stuck. He wants you to have the freedom that he offers so freely. So that's where we're going to pause today. We're going to hit that pause button again. And next week, Chris will pick back up in the story of Moses, the God chaser. But I hope as we got through this that you can see that there is a way out, no matter how stuck you feel. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you so much for how you come into our lives, how you work to get us out of the things that we get ourselves into over and over again. Thank you for sending your son down to bring us closer to you, to give us that bridge, that that rope that pulls us out of the muck and mire. Help us to remember that you want to fight for us, that you are on our side. In your name we pray. Amen.